0: left
1: center. Has he done it again? He has! He's got two tonight. Welcome to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian Speed reporter for MLB.com and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. Sarah, I was already excited for this episode just because we saw so much on social media about Judge and Otani. You have Mookie Betts I mean there's so many of baseball's biggest stars that we can talk about but now I'm even more excited because you just randomly dropped this tweet right before we get on here saying that you have something that you're basically gonna just drop on me at some point during the episode of like some big stat that you found um And then I was just like, wow, what a tease. This is cruel. Um, And so now I'm really excited to get to that. I don't know what segment it's going to be in. I don't know anything. But now I'm really excited because when you get overly excited about a stat, it's got to be a good one. So thanks for that. Now I'm like, "Okay, when are we going to get there? The rest of this is just like, all right, all right, let's get to this stat. But hey, whatever. I'll take it.
2: You will not know when it's coming, but you will know when it is that stat. And I got a text from uh, Jason Bernard, who does uh, stats, uh, stat cast stuff, and ton of really important stuff on the scenes for us uh, with baseball. Savant immediately was like, okay, now I need to know. And I didn't tell him, but I did tell him which player it involves. But I'm excited for this episode because there has been A lot of narrative, chatter, conversation, what have you, on Twitter, especially this morning, about Shohei Otani and Aaron Judge. There have been a couple different iterations of the MVP conversation in the American League this year. We've talked about it before. Aaron Judge seemed to be running away with it. The Yankees stopped playing as well. He fell off pace. Shohei Otani is amazing. They're both really good. And I just want to say, because I've been sitting here all day, excited to rant about this to you, that they're both really good. And that is good for baseball. And that is my number one takeaway. And people seem to be so intent on calling out that if someone says Judge should be MVP, that means they think Otani is terrible or the opposite. That is not the conversation here. And anyone who thinks that both of these players aren't really, really good is not watching the game. So I just wanted to say to start that this is a good thing for baseball. It is wonderful that people feel so strongly about Aaron Judge and Shohei Otani. Only one of them, most likely, you know, 19, what was it, 79, Keith Hernandez and uh, Willie Sargell. But most likely, only one of them will win MVP. That does not mean the other guy isn't also really good. So I think I have that off my chest now, but (laughs) I just had to start with that.
1: I had a feeling that was going to be... A quick little rant that you needed because it was in all caps and underlined in our uh <laughs> prep document for what we wanted to talk about today so um i'm glad that you said that though because i was sort of thinking the same thing i mean this conversation is is always difficult every year because it's so hard to justify who's slightly better than the other and there's so many factors that go into every single thing um but when you start going through the tweets, I, I mean, I searched Judge Otani on Twitter just to see what was coming up. Um, and people are getting really, really intense about this conversation. And so, um, like you said, it's not like we're trying to argue one's good, one's bad. It's just which one is maybe having the the better season, a slightly better season Um, when it comes to an MVP vote. And so that decision is always difficult. Um, And it's, I think, going to be difficult forever until Shohei Otani is no longer in the league. uh, Because no matter what, he is going, unless he completely falls off the face of the planet, which I don't see that he will, he's going to make sure that everyone has to think two, three, four extra times about this vote Because he's doing something that no one has ever seen done before, and we still can't physically process it right now. Um, I mean, I think it was last week. Every week runs together. Last week, we talked about how um, every comp with him always seems to be Babe Ruth. And when you're in that type of category, you're already a legend, and you're still in the prime of your career. And... When that's the case, we're seeing someone who is just as dominant as a pitcher as he is a hitter, we can't we can't ignore that. and it's going to be something that we fixate on every single season and have no idea how to justify um, to someone else. But to judge's credit, I mean, you start looking at these, his numbers, his numbers are stupid. They're just ridiculous. You look on his baseball reference page and either everything's either bolded or italicized. And um, that means he's either leading just the American League or all of the majors. And so yeah, I guess that's pretty good. Um, His season's just unmatched. And so you, it's difficult because I think Otani makes everyone have to think a little bit harder and in a different way because of This extra thing he brings to baseball by also being just as good of a pitcher. And so for, I think for every year, players are going to have to understand the fact that there's this extra factor going into it. And at some point maybe can be a little unfair because, um, you think of like, if someone's in a talent show and they step up and they belt out Whitney Houston and they nail every single note, it's like okay, well, this is really impressive. They're they're a slam dunk, and then someone else comes up and sings the same song, almost as good, and then adds dancing along with it. It's like, well, does that person suddenly get the automatic win, even though they might not have been as great of a singer, but they added an extra element? And the other person's like, well, that's not my fault that I can't dance, but I just sang better. And it's just like, how do you how do you justify all of these things in your head? I don't understand. And so, um. I think that's where it's going to be difficult for players at times where it seems slightly unfair that he's always going to be in this conversation, even though you have an Aaron Judge who's having one of the best seasons that we've seen in our lifetime. Um, and so, yeah, that's where I'm sort of back and forth. And I have no idea where I'm going because I'm stuck because every this is going to be every year. I feel like Otani's going to do this to everyone every single year.
2: As he should. And you know, we talked about him last week on this podcast. And I think I said then how I hope we never get tired of him. And I do think that's really important. As you said, he's going to do this to every conventional slugger every year. And he should. As long as he is doing this at this level, it should be a difficult conversation. And I think there will be years when he wins, there will be years when he doesn't. Last year, hands down, slam dunk, I thought he was the MVP, no question. But I do think part of what spurred the voting to be so overwhelming was the fact we had never seen this before. Now that we've seen it before, I think that is almost working against him and I don't think that's fair either. So people are going to say, well, last year he had all of those home runs. This year, he's a better pitcher. He just added a sinker in the middle of the season. Who does that? Adds a new pitch (laughs) when you're already really, really good. He is in the top five in starters, uh, fastball velocity, average fastball velocity. His splitter has the third highest whiff rate of any starter, and he's top four in barrel rate. I mean, this just doesn't make sense. But Aaron Judge, by the way, isn't just hitting a lot of home runs. He's doing it when the rest of the league isn't doing it at quite the same pace. So he's an 18-homer lead over Kyle Schwarber right now, That would be the sixth largest difference between numbers one and two in home runs in a season, behind only 1921 Babe Ruth, who led by 35, 1920 Babe Ruth, who led by 35, 1926 Babe Ruth, who led by 26, 1928 Babe Ruth, who led by 23, and 1924, you guessed it, Babe Ruth, who led by 19. So wow, when you wow, mentioned wow. that we talk about Babe Ruth with Joe O'Tani, <laughs> I mean, honestly, we're pretty far past O'Tani and Ruth at this point. He's so much better at doing both of these at once. But now we're back to the fact that Babe Ruth was basically playing against. I mean. The saying with the NBA is that early NBA, they were playing against doctors and lawyers in that it wasn't even these guys' full-time jobs. I think that you have to say that the early years of Babe Ruth, a lot of the pitchers he was facing were probably plumbers in the off season or what have you, right? No disrespect, just it was a different time. So now with Aaron Judge, we are going back to that moment in time to compare how much more dominant he has been with home runs compared to his peers.
1: This isn't the stat.
2: No, this isn't the stat.
1: I'm going to ask like every time there's a stat that comes up now. Um, Well, that's ridiculous. One, when you started to say that it was going to be the sixth largest difference, I'm thinking, my gosh, that's it? Like, I was thinking it was going to be one of the biggest differences because 18 home run lead, that's just, I keep saying it's so stupid. It is so stupid. Like, that's, what are we watching? It's incredible. And I love always going back to Um, it's both on the homepage all the time. It's on yankees.com all the time. I love watching your your home run tracker, the pacer for uh, Aaron Judge because I'm always curious. Well, I'm not smart enough to do math, but Sarah is. So I'm going to keep going back and checking to see what he's on pace to do. Could he get into the mid 60s? Is he somehow going to be able to creep into like the high 60s? Like where does he stand? Is he going to fall short and sustain the 50s? So I'm always checking that. I think it's so fun. And I can't believe whenever you said six largest because of that. And then it makes a little bit more sense. Because it's all one player, and it's all Babe Ruth, and it's all in that thick of the stretch where he was at his best in the 20s, and so um, that makes way more sense than what it sounded like at the beginning. And so um, this is this is special. And to me, there really there's never a right answer when it comes to votes for whatever you're voting on. If it's Cy Young, and it's if it's MVP there's never a right answer because someone can always see it differently. And everyone is so good who are in these conversations. So you can't sit there and be like, well, you're wrong. Well, no, you're not wrong because this guy is incredibly talented and has had a huge year if he's in this conversation to begin with. But to me, it's just, this is the stuff to me that makes it seem like Aaron judge still has a, a a nod in this competition right now. And It's just going back to just how his whole baseball reference page is just bold and some italicized and his numbers are just it's it's like a computer game in a way. It's like you just did your you're playing backyard baseball and you're trying to create your own player and you're just setting every single thing to be the highest it can possibly be. Um, So I that's why to me it's like that. And I know one of the biggest things on Twitter that I saw was that, oh, well, the Yankees struggled for a while there, and so maybe that'll knock Judge down. And it's like, well, you can't say that for Judge whenever it's not going into effect for guys like Mike Trout or um, Shohei Otani in years past when they weren't even playoff contenders. Um, you can't pick and choose when that narrative works. And baseball's so different from so many sports because it's almost impossible for one player to carry a team. Um, and I like that because then you can still recognize guys who might not be in the best team situation successfully. Um, but you can still see how ridiculously good they are as an individual and they can be recognized even though they might not be one of the hottest teams in baseball. And so I think that's so fun that you can still see that. So you can't really play a factor of, of the, how the rest of the team is doing around that individual. And so to me, it's still judge, but like you said there's there's no wrong answer, there's no bad player here, and it's just so fun to be able to watch all of this at one time.
2: It is, and to the point about teams uh, and whether they're contenders or not, last year was the first year in the history of the MVP, goes back to 1931 when the baseball writers began voting on it, that the top three in each league were all on non-playoff teams. Both of our winners were on non-playoff teams with Bryce Harper, with the Phillies, and Otani. But it wasn't just that. It was the entire top three in both leagues. So just to the point that hopefully the electorate has kind of gotten past that by now. But I do want to talk about another player in the National League who has been not quite judged, but really, really close to both guys we were talking about since the start of August. So since August 1st, Mookie Betts has a 6.98 slugging percentage. The only qualified player with a higher slug is Aaron Judge at 7.21, and the third guy on the list is Shohei Otani at 6.75. So very seamless from the two guys we were talking about before. But Mookie Betts, over his last 10 games as a hitter. He had one game uh, where he was a defensive replacement. In the end, we're skipping that. But he has 13 extra base hits. He's hitting 381, slugging an even 1,000 with a 1 OPS. He has six homers, six doubles, uh, and a triple that till we get to the 13 extra base hits. That is his most extra base hits in a 10-game span as a batter in his career. This is a guy who already won an MVP. And I think Nolan Arenado or Paul Goldschmidt will be the NL MVP, but I really wanna give Mookie his flowers because he has been really, really good, especially since August began. The Dodgers are so good. It's like we almost don't give them enough credit because we just expect them to be really good. But I was digging in on Mookie heading into the weekend and I discovered some stuff that really blew me away. So he has his highest swing rate of his career this year. Again, a guy who won MVP, knows what works for him. He has a 44% swing rate. His lowest swing rate of his career was 35.6% in 2018 when he won MVP. But then it gets even funnier. So he has a 66.4% swing rate at in-zone pitches, which is 10 percentage points higher than in 18. And this is my favorite. He has a 31% first pitch swing rate. When he won MVP, he swung at 10% of first pitches. Oh, wow. This is a guy who is a known good hitter and has mm-hmm. changed at this phase of his career. I just think this is fascinating.
1: I mean, it's sort of along the same lines of whenever you were talking about how Otani just adds a pitch in the middle of, of a season. It's just like to see how some of the best are able to adapt and change and find ways to get better, even after their, quote-unquote, after their prime, maybe a little bit more. Um, It's really impressive. And, like, Mookie Betts is always a name that you think of as being one of the better players in the game, but he's never the one getting any of the headlines. And so it's like he can fly under the radar a little bit more. But in my head, I'm always like, well, yeah, Mookie, it's Mookie. Mookie is one of the best in the game. But you just don't really hear about him. You don't talk about him too much. And so I was excited whenever you mentioned to to talk about Mookie today because I think my point was that I was wanting to address was sort of what you just said of the Dodgers are so – taken for granted in a way of like, okay, they just win. We know they just win. Um, I know I've been talking to our Dodgers writer Juan about the fact that their, their magic numbers already down in single digits. And it's just like, how it's September sixth. we have a full month of the season left. Um, and of course I'm covering a division that I swear nobody wants to win. So they're trying to fight each other of how can we make this as close as possible? So um, it's baffling to me to think of how far ahead the Dodgers are from everyone else right now. Um, And I think because of that, so many of their storylines, which seems backwards, get lost because it's just like okay they're good we know they're good we don't have to highlight that they're good and it's like no we we should still highlight that they're good even though we know it and we've seen it and we see it every single year it seems like um and I think it's Mookie is somebody who in LA it just seems like he's some of his storylines have been a little bit under the radar. And so I think it's fun to talk about him as much as possible. His character, his personality, all of those things seem so fun. Love every any single time that he can be highlighted. And so um, really, really impressive. And I know you you look at those shorter spans, like you, you were talking about the 13 extra base hits in a 10 game span. Those Those spans are so small, but I think it's just it's fun to highlight those because you can see who's just been on a rip and a tear over the last couple of weeks. And and uh, even a span of that type of length is so difficult to be that successful uh, for 10 straight games. Uh, and so I, I just think it's he's somebody who it's hard to believe has has flown under the radar for me.
2: Can we discuss the concept of going to L.A.? and being under the radar, because it makes no sense. But it's the same thing with Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman is what leading the league in hits right now. He had kind of a slower start. He had that series in Atlanta that was very emotional for him. And if you look since then, I believe he's like first or second in the majors in batting average, up there in OPS, you name it. I mean, it's really interesting, but I think it really speaks to the Dodgers organization and to Dave Roberts. I mean, they've created this team that is such a juggernaut that they don't get, I mean, I don't know, I'm not there. But I would guess that they're fine with the fact that we're sitting here saying, wow, we should talk about them more. I think they're glad waiting in the wings, being in the bushes, and then in the postseason just pouncing. And this really allows them to do so. And, you know, I, I just think, uh, you know, there was a lot of talk on Sunday baseball. They were on Sunday baseball this week against the uh, Padres. And there was a lot of talk about Dave Roberts and this being kind of a show-me year for him, even though the team has been so good. They have the One World Series in 2020, and they played back this audio of him on the Dan Patrick show in March. And Dan Patrick goes, you know, it's kind of a series of questions fill in the blank. And he says, the Dodgers win the World Series if... And Doc goes... If there's a full season and a postseason is played.
1: that's some confidence right there.
2: Mic drop. (laughs) And I believe DP follows up and says, you're saying you're going to win it. And he's like, yep. And you know what? I love that. I love that I wasn't even fully aware of that until now. I think I remember when it happened, but I had not heard about it in months. I mean, this team just hasn't figured out. I mean, I watch these games. I see Mookie get on base. They lost last night. But you just see the atmosphere. You and I were just at this ballpark for the All-Star game. And it just looks like a really fun thing to be a part of.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I, it just, it's this weird concept of they have it so figured out and they're clicking so well that everyone's sort of overlooking them. And it's, I, it doesn't make sense. None of it makes sense. Um, but it's like, everyone just assumes, okay, obviously they're going to be in the postseason. Obviously they're really good. Blah, blah, blah. Let's just move on to some of the teams who are in closer races. Some of the teams who have players who are, you know, the Aaron judges, the Shohei Ohtani whatever it may be, but the Dodgers seem to have this dynamic, this chemistry, whatever it is where they all are one and it's not like they have individual guys who are stealing the show. They don't have individual guys. I mean, they do, but it's not like they have guys who are like stealing those headlines the same way that Aaron judges, you look on Twitter and it's like Aaron judge home run counter every single night. You have Shohei Otani did this and did that. You have those types of things constantly updating uh, but like you said, like Freddie Freeman's in that same boat of you go to L.A. and then you're a little bit quieter, even though you're just as good. Um, I follow largely the national span of baseball by Twitter because I'm watching one team every single day because I'm at those games. Um, it's hard to keep track of every single game whenever you're at one. And I'm following and you. the only time I really heard about Freddie Freeman this year was when he went to Atlanta. Um, and it's just crazy because you look at his numbers and it's like, oh my gosh, how is this guy not getting talked about now? And, um, so I think it's fun. I think it's fun to have teams like that. I think it'll be fun to watch them yet again in the postseason, as it is every single year. Um, and I think it'll be, it'll be cool to play back that clip if they do end up winning, uh, the world series, because that's a, that's a very confident statement and it's a, it's a fun, fun call back to the beginning of the year. Um, but am I safe to go or am I going to get a stat yet or?
2: Not yet. Not yet. I love this. I may have to do this every week and tease that I'm going to drop a stat on you and not tell you when. No, the stat is not yet
1: every time you're talking I'm like okay is this the stat is the stat coming right now is this the stat and then I'm and then you're saying I'm casually I'm like this doesn't seem like it this is I think this would have more suspense this doesn't seem like it okay fine then I will uh hurry up and go to break so when we come back there's a chance that I maybe hear it right away or even later I have no idea so uh when we come back we have more fun about the d-backs we have Everything that uh, we can talk about, about Andres Jimenez, because we had fun this week writing together. That's always our favorite thing to do. So, so much more when we come back.
0: Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best the power of their data. was Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.
1: Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian Speed Reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, who's holding out on me and holding a stat over my head for the entirety of the podcast. Oh, she's a researcher and a reporter as well. Um, this is, this is a lot. My, like, my juices are flowing. I got, like, adrenaline. I'm like, all right, is it coming yet? Is it coming yet? So we're going to find out here. Um, when we talk about the D-backs, maybe there's something in here, Sarah. I don't know. Maybe, possibly, question mark?
2: Potentially. You'll have to wait and see. But I was so excited. So, you know, I think we've mentioned we kind of planned this podcast over the weekend, of course, Monday was a holiday, so we're texting to, uh, on Monday to talk about Tuesday. And I'm thinking, I'm watching games, and I'm realizing we have to talk about the Diamondbacks. They are so much fun to watch lately, and they've been pretty good. They are 9-2 and two in their last 11 games, 20-12 since August 2nd. And they have a couple of guys doing some really crazy things. So the first one we have to mention, which is not the stat, is Zach Allen. So he has a 41 and the third inning scoreless streak going right now. That is the eighth longest in the live ball era, which goes back to 1920. We could do uh, the streaks even including prior to that, but again, that's basically the pre-Babe Ruth hitting home runs era. There was a lot less scoring in baseball. That's why we tend to stick with the 1920 for this. So Earl Hershiser has the record, 59 scoreless innings in a season in 1988, 59 consecutive. Don Drysdale is second with 58 in 1968. Gibson is third. 47, also in 68, you may have heard that was the year of the pitcher. Then we had the most recent guy to get close to these was Zach Greinke in 2015, 45 and two thirds. Then there's 1933, Carl Hubbell, 45 and one third. 1950, Sal Magley at 45. 2007, Brandon Webb, another Diamondback. At 42, and then we have Zach Allen. I mean, what he has been doing, talk about flying under the radar. You know, I just saw a tweet. I didn't get to watch it uh, before we came on and started chatting, but I saw a tweet from the uh, MLB Players. Like, they have that media uh, Twitter account, MLB Players Inc. or something, uh, about him from him talking about flying under the radar with his streak and his not caring, and that's always the answer players will give, and I completely understand it from a pressure standpoint. There's enough pressure just standing on the mound in front of however many thousands of people. If people aren't going to go on and talk about it on morning shows, that's probably even easier for you to handle, but Zach Allen has always been a great pitcher, but this stretch has been unreal.
1: I think it it's like you said, flying under the radar tremendously. But it's it's nice to see that the the, the backs have reasons to talk about them. Uh, I know that they don't have a winning record. They they're floating, getting closer to five hundred. But I know they don't have a winning record this year. But was it? I think it was last year, right, where they had that just dreadfully long losing streak they had. It was so difficult, and I know last year we, for MLB.com, we did um, stats of the day, which was a story for us, and we would always come up with a different stat, and I know Steve Gilbert, our writer in Arizona, would was telling me this spring, like, I had to bother Sarah every single night because this team wasn't doing much, and I had to try to come up with an interesting stat from every game, and poor Sarah had to hear from me every night, like, hey, it's me again. Um, and so to see, even if it's not where they're tremendously successful, they're not in the thick of this race right now. And so it's not like they're a playoff contender, but it's so, it's nice to see them back into a positive category of, man, look what they're doing. Like you said, like nine, nine and two in their last 11 games. I mean, the way that they've been playing has been fun. It's been, it's been unexpected to see this team sort of click. Um, but it's, it's, it's like that underdog type of aspect where at the beginning of the Orioles stretch of doing this, where it was just like, how fun are the Orioles right now? I don't think anyone really took it seriously to the point where they would still be in that conversation in September. But at the beginning of that, it had that same feel to it. Like, wow, it's just so fun to watch them for like two weeks being so good because it's just been such a long stretch since we could say that. Um, and now they've found a way to still stay hot into September and be fun and have that conversation continue. But that's sort of the, oh, man, it's it's nice to talk about a team that we haven't talked about in a long time. Uh, and you talk about the longest scoreless inning streak. When you were saying that it was one of the longest ones, I was thinking, like, since... 2000 or in the divisional era or something. And then you were like, Oh no, live ball era. And I'm thinking, Oh, so this is really special then, what we're watching right now. So, um, you know, me, you know, I love anything that deals with history. And so, uh, I love it. And I hope that that continues because one headlines for them are fun because it's different. It's underdog. It's not a team that you're used to talking about. And two, it's fun to just to watch history
2: Absolutely, and, you know, they really seem to be building something. They called up Corbin Carroll recently. He's the number three prospect in all of baseball. And, yes, I know he's hitting about 200 right now, not really slugging. But a big calling card for him was speed, and so far we've seen that. So his average sprint speed is 30.4 feet per second right now. Oh, MLB average is 27. Elite is 30. So his average is elite. That's Trey Turner territory, that's Jorge Mateo, whoever you want to think of, Bobby Witt. But this is the most fun part to me. So we have a stat with StatCast. This is not the stat, no. Ugh. We're getting there, we're getting there. (laughs) So we have a stat called Bolts, so a bolt is a competitive run at elite speed, so at 30 plus feet per second. He has 13 competitive runs, 10 of them have been bolts. He has the second most bolts on the Diamondbacks. He has literally had 13 competitive runs. Jake (laughs) McCarthy, who's another really fun part of what they're building, by the way, With an average sprint speed of 30 feet per second himself, has 47. And then next on the list is Alec Thomas, another really exciting player for them. He has eight bolts. I mean, it's just hilarious. And I'm not sure that he will continue to have almost every run be a bolt. (laughs) But he's fast. This is what he does. And it's been really fun to see. And another Diamondbacks player who has been so much fun to watch for me has been Dalton Varsho. So last year he played this really fun combination of outfield and catcher. He played like 40 plus games at each, and it was a pretty rare thing we hadn't seen in a while. This year, he has played 89 games in the outfield and 31 at catcher. So there's overlap there. This isn't starts if it starts. It's 18 starts at catcher and 82 in the outfield. But we want to give credit for starting a game at one and then moving to the other position. So the fun thing is this isn't just a guy trying to be a utility player. He is leading the majors now it's above average among outfielders. He is 13. The next most by anybody else is 11, and keep in mind he is also spending time behind the dish. So here's the stat: <laughs> I looked into guys to play at least 30 games at catcher and at least 85 games at in the outfield in a season. He is the sixth guy to do this. The last one to do it was Eli Marrero in 2002. I remember Eli Marrero. I was very excited when a little behind the scenes, the way I run this involves like player IDs. So it said marreel one And I was very excited when I realized that that equals Eli Marrero. Anyway. <laughs> The other guys to do this were Keith Moreland in 1982, Gary Carter, hello, Hall of Famer, in 1975, Kurt Blefairy in 1968, and someone named Jack O'Connell. No, Jack O'Connor, excuse me. In 1892, his baseball reference page says his nicknames were Rowdy Jack or Peach Pie. The takeaway here is that he is the sixth guy to have this kind of combination. And again, he's in 89 games in the outfield. I did 30 at catcher in 85 in the outfield. But assuming he plays at least one more game in the outfield, which I would imagine he might do tonight, then uh, we'll lose a couple guys off the list. We'll lose uh, Keith Moreland. And if he gets into 100 games in the outfield, it would be only our friend from 1892, Mr. O'Connor and Eli Marrero. So I mean, I am just blown away. And again, you know, last year, I think people were very impressed because that is an atypical kind of utility combo. But to be doing it again and also be the best defensive outfielder by at least one metric in the majors, that is on another level to me.
1: Three things. And hopefully by the time I finish my thoughts, I remember all three. That is TBD. One. Uh, I'm glad you brought this up because, like I said, it's hard to pay attention to everything across the league. I had no idea this was a thing. I had no idea that this guy was an outfielder and a catcher. And you think of that as, like, that combination is so strange. Like, Think back, at least just for Cleveland history, you had Carlos Santana who would catch and also play first. Um, but anytime you see the catchers move around, it always seems so strange. It seems so out of place. Like, it, catcher's a catcher, it always seems like. Um, that is that is fun. I love I love seeing that versatility. Um, I love knowing about this. Um, and I, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who wouldn't know this story, who wouldn't know that um this guy's doing what he's doing. So I think um one fun to bring up, fun to dig up and look at all of that. Number 2 is I don't understand you because <laughs> how do you have stats from 1892 and it's like every time I ask you something that I need to be dated back for a long time you're like, "Well, there's not really a way for me to search it, so let me just do it manually. And I'm like, what What does manually mean? How does one search for something manually? You're like, oh, I just have this doc that I use. And I'm like, oh, that clears it up. You just have this doc that you use. How do you have a doc? How do you create this? How do you have your own system? One, you're insane. So... The fact that you can do all of this stuff just blows my mind that you don't need any sort of database. It's just like, oh, let me just use my own manual thing. I won't get over that because you you dropped that on me like twice this week, like <laughs> when I was asking you for random question times on Slack where you're like, let me just do it manually. And every time I say out loud to nobody, just myself sitting in the press box, I'm like, what does she mean by manually? How? What do you do for a manual search? So that was number two. And number three, can we please bring back nicknames like they were in eighteen hundreds? Yes. We needed a player nicknamed Peach Pie today. Like yeah. that's incredible. Um he is my favorite on the list. I'm hoping <laughs> um I'm hoping that maybe we can start to see some hundred games this year in the outfield. So then it just d- dwindles down to uh what was it, Jack O'Connor? Yeah. Is that Jack his first name? Jack O'Connor. Hopefully it can just be the three of them standing and you just have Jack O'Connor just continually being brought up and uh, we can just refer to him as peach pie moving forward. Cause that's this, the best nickname I've ever heard. So um, I feel like a weight has been lifted off of my shoulders now that I don't have to be on the edge of my seat for a stat anymore that I wasn't prepared for. Um, I should have known that it was a manual stat um, and that was, okay, I, I do like that. I like that bit. There's no pressure to do it every week. Don't do that because I know you're going to be psychotic now. But don't do that. It was, but that was fun. That's a great stat.
2: Thank you. I will explain slightly on manually. So when I say the word manually, what I mean is I, you know and I hope some of our listeners know that there are a lot of really great websites out there where you could run searches. So you can go to fan and fiddle around with a leaderboard and get whatever you need. You can go to baseball reference and use a season finder, a game finder, a span finder, what have you. You can go on Stats Pass and run something on their search. So whenever I say manually, I mean that I have to take data from one of those sites or somewhere else and put it into Excel and either run a formula or some other sort of coding in Excel to make it happen. So the thing you were actually making reference to earlier uh, from this weekend was about most consecutive games being shut out. Um, And that was for the Guardians, who luckily did not tie that record. (laughs) But I can go on Baseball Reference, and I can check that since 1901, the most consecutive games being shut out is four. But I have the ability to grab baseball history did not start in 1901, obviously. So I also have the ability to grab the uh score the final score from every game in baseball history prior to that so i was able to download every game 1900 and prior that was a shutout and then run something in excel with a streak formula to check if anyone prior to 1901 had been uh, shut out in four straight. so Too much, nobody cares, but that's what manual means.
1: This is the look of, like, I'm looking at a mad scientist who's, like, (laughs) concocting things that are beyond my brain power, and I'm just like, I'm sorry, you do what? Um, So, yeah, that's how we get Sarah Langs, and that's why she is who she is. And before I get too much of a headache from trying to process this, Let's okay. get to something that I process pretty well, which is ha- Andre Jimenez and what he's been this year. Um, I know I was really excited whenever you said, hey, I'm looking to do a story on him this week. Can we collaborate on this? Um, collaborating literally means Sarah does 99% of the story and I add a little tiny sentence or two here and there. So, no. Uh, but, uh, but what's been incredible is, You talk about flying under the radar. He's not a name that's going around nationally. That's not a name that everyone's focused on. Um, But what he's been able to do has been really, really fun to watch this year. And just because he was part of that Francisco Lindor trade, which was so huge for Cleveland. um, And we talk about it a little bit in the story of the expectations were so high for him last year because he's replacing the superstar player, this person who was the face of their franchise and felt like, it was a little bit much for him that first year. He was, I mean, he's still ridiculously young, but um, he just turned 24. And, uh, and so I, I just think it's, it was something where fans were like, okay, we didn't win that trade. We won that trade. And everyone wants to know who wins a trade right away. This is a reason why you need to let it breathe a little bit. You need to give it some time to see, because right now he's making it really difficult for Cleveland fans to sit there and say, I wish we would have never made that trade because he is a blast to watch every single day.
2: I know there's at least one Cleveland fan who was sold on it pretty early on. Because when I was in Cleveland for your wedding at the end of May, my (laughs) Uber driver from the airport, you know, we start talking, we're talking about baseball. And he was going on and on about how the Guardians won the trade because of Andres Jimenez. I believe I texted him and I was like, this guy is on one. Like, he was so, <laughs> so determined. And at the time, I was like, you know, okay, buddy. I mean, he's a really good defender. He's really fast. But, you know, by late May, he hadn't necessarily shown everything that we've seen now. So at the time, I was you know, amazed at the narratives that fans spin, but now I'm totally sold. So when we wrote about him...
1: Uber then, driver thinks they now, uh, they won Lindor trade because of Jimenez in all caps.
2: She found the tugs. Oh my gosh, I knew I texted it because I was like the day before a wedding do I bother her but I have to text her this so I'm so glad we have that evidence but something that really stood out to me with him is that as I mentioned and as I thought about the time in May we know that he's always going to have defense and speed and the defense is impressive because he has basically become a second baseman at the major league level He came up as a shortstop. He played both for the Mets in 2020, but he has predominantly played second base this year. I believe he is either tied for third or fourth in outs above average among second basemen. But what really stands out to me is his bat. So he was a guy who came up. He was hitting okay against fastballs. He really couldn't do much against breaking pitches or off-speed stuff. Overall, in his first two years in the majors, he had 206, lugged 290 against breaking off-speed. This year, he's leading the majors in batting average against breaking off-speed pitches. You look at the list, and it's like Paul Goldschmidt is there, other really good hitters. I'm sure Luis Arise is right around there. It's Andres Jimenez at the top of the list, and I just think that is such an impressive thing to teach yourself, essentially mm-hmm. at the major league level.
1: Absolutely, and then the, to add to it is just like he's so defensively sound. Like he's not even at his primary position, um, which is shortstop. He's at second base so that Ahmed Rosario can be shortstop for now. Um, And he's been as uh, good of a bat that Cleveland could have asked for Ahmed as well over the last two years. And so um, even if they have to have someone who's not as defensively sounded short to keep his bat, it's been worth it because Jimenez has no problem with the transition. He plays so lights out. It's uh, unbelievable to watch him. Every single day, because when the ball is hit on the right side of the infield, I'm like, well, I can just start marking my scorecard now because I know no matter what, it's going to be an out. Um It's fun to watch every single day. I know I abuse the word fun on this podcast, but it really, really is because he's just... It's it's just like this young group of players that Cleveland has that are all intriguing. And it's like, how are you handling this transition to the big league so well and thriving? And I know he's had a little bit more big league experience than most of their team, which is saying a lot because he doesn't have really any. Um, but it's he's just absolutely thrived this year. And when he's been struggling a little bit over the last couple of weeks, like the week or two, because most of their batting order has. I look up and I'm like, oh, he must be having a rough time too. And no, he's still hitting over 300. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess he's just quieter than what he's been. And what he's been has been ridiculously red hot. So when he's only getting one hit a game, I'm looking at it like, eh, he's not doing too well. No, he's doing just fine. Um, And so he's just another one, I think, who's been flying under the radar in in that
2: sense. You know, I just remember in 2020 when he came up, there were a lot of times that I remember the Mets beat kind of collectively, talking about how the Mets were really high on him. And I remember thinking, that's odd. I hadn't really heard his name much part of this, but you see why. You can see how, you know, it comes down to not just his ability, but what they knew about, I'm sure what they knew about, how well he would learn at the big league level, type of teammate he is and all of that I mean I think back to I believe it was your uh, best moment in baseball for the week around uh, all-star selections when you mentioned about him FaceTiming his family and his little baby to say he made it he just really seems to have that you know just seems to be a really fun player and a fun player to have in the game
1: very fun player one of the nicest people I've ever met Um, Not even just baseball players, like one of the most genuine, nicest people I've ever met. And he took his son, who I think at the time was six months at the All-Star Game, took him on the red carpet and his son was wearing suspenders. So that sealed the deal even more where I was like, yep, everyone pay attention to him because his son is in this adorable outfit and that's all it takes for me. So um, no, but generally speaking, he is just somebody that I think people can pay a little bit more attention to Uh, Just because both sides of the ball, whether it's at second base, whether it's at the uh, at the plate, he's been really sound this year. Um, And it's 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 a name that coming out of Cleveland, you don't really hear about nationally. But it's somebody if your favorite team's playing Cleveland, you start to realize how much of a pest he's been all season. Um, But you had that nice little call back to one of my my moments in baseball this week. We'll just jump to that now. We'll take a quick break. Um, I'm confident we're going to have the same thing. So I need to probably come up with a backup, but, uh, when we come back, we will have both of our favorite moments from baseball this past week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the name, your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian Speed reporter from MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter from MLB.com as well. And Sarah, just go ahead, just rip it off like a Band-Aid. I know it's going to be the same thing. I just feel it. So go ahead and say yours.
2: I know what it is. It's Sunday Night Baseball. Mookie Bats was mic'd up. He was chatting with the booth. He was great, by the way. I mean, all of these players are great, mic'd up but he was really outstanding, he's very familiar. He was the first player to really be mic'd up on national broadcast. it was a spring training game. In 2018, it was Carl, Tim, and Eduardo doing a spring training game. <laughs> he's chatting with them, and his famous line, which I'm laughing about as I talk about it, was, I'm not getting this one, boys, as a, uh, you know, double was hit near him. So Mookie Betts is a all-star, mic'd up guy. And the best moment was not even him talking to the booth, it was as he was jogging off the field after his inning, he stopped right by Juan Soto. And he goes, can I borrow your eyes? Can I get your eyes? And he had talked earlier in the game or earlier in the inning when Soto was at bat about how he wishes he had his eye at the plate. But the best part was Mookie says that and then Soto goes, Can I get your bat? I need you to show me how to hit. And Soto actually snapped like an over 18 during that game so it was just amazing and you know, even that moment, it felt like it kind of fired Soto up. But, I mean, this is what baseball is all about. This is why it's so great to mic up players. It's not just the conversations they have in those moments. But, you know, he knows he's mic'd up. He knows the mic isn't off yet. Juan Soto sees the mic on him, so they know. But these are also the conversations these guys have. And to have... A former MVP who's also probably a future NL MVP, and another future NL MVP having this chat on the field. I mean, that is what baseball is all about.
1: I should know better than to add anything or have anything that involves Juan Soto when I come to this <laughs> podcast is my favorite moment. If he's involved in something, I should know better. But I'm going to actually double down on it. Like, I'm, I'm not even going nice. to switch it because... I mean, I, I'll, I'll switch to be more specific about other things about this moment, but I think the Mookie Betts broadcast, like part of that broadcast of miking him up, is just, I've said it a couple times about these mic'd up segments, it's what makes baseball so unique and special. Um, you talked about it last week, I want to say, when it was the uh, Wainwright in his starting routine, um, pregame routine. Um, I went and watched it again as soon as we stopped and I showed my parents cause they were still in town and we sat there and it was just fascinating because it's just, it's different. It's a, it's a insight into sports that no other sport gives fans. Um, and so. I think it's special because not only do you get to hear what they're thinking, there will never be a moment that's topped than the first one where Mookie says, I'm not getting to this one boys. Like that's just going to be the best moment ever. They went out on, they came out with the first time micing someone up and they had the best sound bite they'll ever get. Um, but, His personality is perfect for it. We've talked about his personality a little bit earlier. His personality is perfect for it. Um, To hear the exchanges that you're wondering whenever these guys, these opponents are running off the field together, and you can sometimes see them laughing or jabbing at each other or whatever it might be. You get to see now. You got to hear what one of those comments are. Um, And that's not even something about learning about Mookie Betts. Like you said, you get to hear what those conversations are like. You get to step inside the game of what it's like to be um, two of the biggest stars in the game. This is what they say to each other when they're coming off the field. Um, So I love that. And then just talking to him in general. I think it was so fun that they incorporated adding a fan question um, when they were like, which one's better hitting a grand slam or bowling, a, a perfect 300, um, because we all know that he's a bowler as well, because what doesn't Mookie do? Um, and then him answering that, and you get to have that, not only that insight into the game, but now there's a fan connection too, because the fan got to ask the question and he got to answer what fans were thinking, um, because it came in through Twitter. Uh, I, I think that there's so much about this that is so really unique it's something that baseball does so beyond well Um, and it's something that i think needs to continue to grow and i know i said it before it can't be every inning it can't be every team the logistics behind it are too much but i think it's just the absolute best segment that you can possibly have so i'm doubling down on it
2: i love it and i want to give a huge shout out i mean we watch sunday baseball every week we know how great of a job Carl Ravish, Eduardo Perez, and David Cohn do. But behind the scenes, the producer Andy Jacobson of ESPN does such a great job, and he's the one who is really, you know, leading the charge, was pushing the envelope on these things. Stuff like getting Wainwright in that warm-up routine and making sure that there is a player mic'd up every week on Sunday baseball. So you know, you hear Andy's name on the broadcast if you listen usually at the end or somewhere at some point, but just to give him yet another, uh, yet another moment there, I mean, it's a really cool thing. And having worked kind of in this baseball TV space for a while now, I've really seen the evolution of this. I mean, I can remember working at ESPN when that great Mookie Betts moment happened and being part of behind the scenes with game notes and meetings and everything as this became more and more of the norm and it's so great. I mean at this point, I've seen local broadcasts might guys up during games. I feel like the Diamondbacks might have done that at some point and there have been a couple teams to do that or local RSNs to do so. Um, And it's just really cool to see it become even more mainstream.
1: Yeah. And the growth of that, I think, is just so imperative to continue to make baseball stand out. And uh, I think they've done it well so far. But uh, that's all we have, I think, for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, which we always hope you are, or if you have any suggestions for us at all, please leave us a rating and a review. Thank you as always for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast and we'll see you next week.